0: From Toronto, Canada, The
1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. I tell you, I always love to start a show off this way. The Conspiracy Show is proud to welcome a new affiliate this week, KVOK AM 560, Kodiak, Alaska. Welcome, welcome to Kodiak. Back in the 1700s, Kodiak, Alaska, when Alaska was owned by the Ruskies, Kodiak was the capital of Russian Alaska. So they go a little bit of history woven into the proceedings here. KVOK AM 560, Kodiak, Alaska. Welcome aboard and thank you. And I look forward to hearing from uh, listeners up in uh, Kodiak uh, soon. I uh, heard from a very welcome phone call this afternoon. Uh, A gentleman left a voicemail um, message for me here at the radio station our flagship station here at AM740 in Toronto. And uh, I had lost track of this individual. I, quite frankly, feared for his life. I thought he was swept away uh, during Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. He resides from Somerville, New Jersey. And uh, hadn't heard from him for several weeks after the, the big storm in October. Then I received a letter from him uh, on End Times Press letterhead saying that he was okay, but uh, his apartment building down in Somerville, and I'd been there and visited uh, with Nils Hammerin, his apartment had been decimated by the storm. The roof was torn off, uh, walls caved in and so forth. He was relocated. Uh, And then I didn't hear from him for a while. I read his letter on the air, tried to contact him, and months went by. It's now five months since Sandy. And uh, people were starting to email me, hearing rumors Nils and his wife have been taken to a FEMA camp. Nils is, you know, uh, where is he? Is he relocated to Central America? I, had, I Anyway, today I got a phone call. Uh, Nils is alive. He's well. He's back in his home in Somerville, New Jersey, and I'm hoping to hear from him a little bit later in the program. And we'll do that at uh, the bottom of the hour, as we say. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines, and uh, we call this segment Ask Richard Anything. I've got a few uh, topic suggestions I'll throw out there. Uh, we can talk about uh the uh the, the investiture of the new pope we can talk about the uh uh the european economic crisis what's happening here in north america are we heading towards a a complete economic collapse as i unfortunately believe we are uh, i think this recovery is total nonsense uh, however the mainstream press just keeps shoveling and shoveling uh and we keep buying and buying for some reason anyway we'll get to that a little bit later those of you who listen to this program i think have a pretty good sense of where I stand politically. I am conservative. Uh, I don't, as a rule, I don't belong to any political party. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a political atheist. I get a little sick and tired of always voting for the least, uh, you know, the, the, the less of the three evils, if you will, up here in Canada. We have, you know, essentially a three-party system. So pretty conservative. However, I have to tell you, I thought Hugo Chavez was a good guy. I thought he was exactly what Venezuela and what South America needed and what they need, and so I noted his passing with some sadness. I know he got uh, portrayed in a certain light in the uh, again in the mainstream media as a uh, a dangerous uh, as, as a socialist as a as a uh, a supporter of terrorism, of course, that, that anyone who, who challenges the status quo in the IMF is automatically seen as a friend of Al-Qaeda and, and so forth. I don't believe that for a moment. Uh, but Hugo Chavez, a lot of speculation now sw- swirling around that he didn't die of natural causes or he didn't die from cancer, that he may have in fact been poisoned. That from the president of Bo- um, Bolivia. And uh, so I thought, let's bring someone on. Who knew? uh, Who knew Hugo Chavez? Who met Hugo Chavez and interviewed him uh, shortly after a a botched coup attempt back in 2002? And uh, I'm really delighted to have this gentleman on the program. He's been with us several times before. He's always welcome. I consider him to be maybe the last true investigative journalist working uh, anywhere in North America. Again. Greg Pallast is an investigative journalist, writes a weekly column for Vice magazine. He also reports for the BBC and The Guardian, among others. You can read his reports at gregpallast.com. That's P-A-L-A-S-T. He is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Armed Madhouse, and the highly acclaimed Vultures Picnic, He's best known in the United States for uncovering Catherine Harris's purge of black voters from Florida's voter rolls in 2000. Greg Pallast, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
0: Great, Richard. Thanks for having me on.
1: You, uh, you were asked to go to uh, Venezuela, was it initially by the BBC, in 2002 after this botched coup attempt. Take me back there. Set the table. What was happening yeah. in Venezuela in April yeah. of 2002?
0: Well, actually, I knew Hugo Chavez pretty well, but I didn't know who the heck this guy was. Actually, at the beginning of 2002, when uh, this uh, dark little woman came up to me and said, President Chavez needs you in Caracas right now. I said, Well, who the hell is that? So she said, There's going to be a coup d'etat. I said, Aren't there lots of coup d'etats down in those places? And she said, They're going to undo all his work. I said, Well, so why should I go? I mean, no one that listens to BBC or CBC, 92% of the people couldn't pick out Venezuela if it whacked them on the head on a map, right? And so. Uh, but I listened, and I studied up, and I said, oh, my God, this, this guy's doing something incredibly revolutionary and extraordinary, and I think they're going to have to kill him. So I said, get me down there, because I think his idea was that if, if, if there are cameras on, it's harder to kill someone when the cameras are rolling, right? And, uh, but in uh, no one believed me, and then, the, uh, then he was kidnapped. Chavez was kidnapped. By the head of the Chamber of Commerce, which uh, gives a new meaning to corporate takeover. I'll say he was a guy named Carmona, who was a U.S. oil company executive, and got some some uh, old right wing fruitcakes in the army to grab Chavez, put him in a helicopter, and Chavez actually told me he thought he was he assumed like you know like they did in Chile and other places that when they veered out over the ocean that they're just going to you know them for a swim from two thousand feet up but they didn't they landed him on an island and told some young kids who were like chavez black and indian and uh, he was the first black president of uh, venezuela and uh, they put these kids in charge and so as far as they were concerned he was one of those so one of those guards handed him a cell phone and <laughs> said, make a call so he called fidel castro then he called his daughter then he called the head of the air force and uh, that's how he uh, got out. And then, of course, about a quarter million people came roaring out of the mountains out of the, the poor uh,
1: rancheros,
0: Villas. Yeah, they call them ranchos. And, you know, marched on the presidential palace. There was a huge public uprising. And by the time I got to Venezuela, he was back in his office. There were bullet holes all over the place, but he was back in his office.
1: That's pretty unprecedented. uh, That's pretty unprecedented for for some. once they're put in the hole like that for them to come back. But he got tipped off, didn't he? Was it one of his ministers?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, originally, the coup was supposed to go off on March 15. What happened was the uh, coup leaders got cold feet. So Bush sent down a new ambassador that week to kick some butt and say, get going. And they were very concerned because what happened was Gaddafi decided he was going to call for another Arab oil embargo as much to boost up the price of oil as to just create trouble. So Ali, his oil minister, Ali Rodriguez, was also Secretary General of OPEC. Venezuela is an OPEC. Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves, five times the reserves of Saudi Arabia. So it's, it's not insignificant. You know, not as pumping as much yet, but it's all there. And
1: it's not the light crude. It, it, it no, takes a little more to, go to extract. to it's Yeah,
0: crude. And so what happens, uh, Rodriguez heard that Gaddafi was going to call for a, uh, a, a new boycott, a new uh, uh, Arab boycott. And the first thing Rodriguez did is, you know, we don't really need a global war because that's what's going to happen. So he tried to talk Gaddafi out of it, but he immediately warned Chavez that they're going to have to take you out. Get ready. They're going to take you out right now, In the next couple of days. They have to, because Venezuela broke the last Arab embargo. And if one actually was launched, Venezuela would not be able to break the embargo again because Venezuela wanted to, of course, get the oil money for its people. So Chavez got the word, even though it's a glorious story that all these people came out of the hills to save the uh, to save their elected president from a bunch of coup d'etat freaks, and oil company executives. In fact, Chavez, being warned, put a, about 150 commandos inside the false walls of the presidential palace. So when the coup leaders had their little inaugural ball, they really had an inaugural ball with the bishop and the... Uh, it was just like a Genet play.
1: And the U.S. ambassador rushed down to congratulate them. The U.S. Them.
0: ambassador came down to this inaugural ball, too, and put his arms around the coup d'etat leaders. You know, it's like they're holding elected president hostage. And Charles Shapiro, the American ambassador, is down there grinning. It's like, you know, Americans don't see this stuff. This is like sickening to, the, to Latin Americans. So the head of the Air Force said, we'll either bomb you into rubble or the, the people will massacre you or um, though we might not wait. We might just knock on the walls and, the." Uh, You'll be greeted by guys with uh, some assault rifles and say hello. So they poured out of the walls, and that's what happened. But before they did, the coup uh, leaders, who were told they had 48 hours to get Chavez back to his desk, left immediately and got him back in two hours. Um, so he was uh, you know, just two days in captivity. And the U.S., in the meantime, the New York Times editorializes that it's wonderful that Chavez has been overthrown, an elected president, Right. This is our New York Times. The Bush administration is jumping up and down. Isn't this wonderful? And someone asked uh, Bush's press spokesman, Ari Fleischer, well, wait a minute. How can you be in favor of overthrowing an elected president? No one's doubted that Chavez won massively in his elections. Very popular. And Bush spokesman said, well, winning an election... Doesn't make your government
1: legitimate.
0: <laughs> course, this is the guy that won Florida. You know, it's like, there you go. This is the victor of
1: Florida, right? Yeah. Greg Palast is with us, New York Times bestselling author of uh, Billionaires and Ballad Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, we'll uh, tell you how you can watch his, uh, his documentary, The Assassination of Hugo Chavez, which was made. Uh, just after the failed coup attempt, but, but um, yeah. we'll, we'll obviously uh, we'll look at that word assassination in an entirely new light now that he has passed. We'll take a time out, come back, and I want to find out exactly why Hugo Chavez was such a threat uh, to the West, uh, even with all that oil. There must have yeah. been something else. We'll find out. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Is it safe? I don't know what you mean. I can't tell you if something is safe or not. Unless I know specifically what you're talking about. Is it safe?
0: Tell me what the refers to. Is it safe?
1: Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. so safe you wouldn't believe it. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Be careful. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Never watch uh, the Marathon Man the night before uh, a dental appointment. Just a little hint I'll throw out there, a little tip for you. Greg Pallis is with us. We're here talking about uh, the late Hugo Chavez, the late great. I call him great. I think he was a great man. Uh, A socialist, yes, to be sure, but the right man at the right time. Uh, for South America, speaking as uh, someone who's probably somewhere right of Attila the Hun. Uh, now, Greg, why was Hugo Chavez so demonized in your documentary? I mean, you have a Pat Robertson yeah. there saying openly on television that this man should be assassinated and taken out. Yeah, why did the Americans I mean, Pat hate? Robertson said uh, Hugo
0: Chavez thinks we're trying to assassinate him. I think we ought to just go ahead and do it. You know, he's sitting on that big pool of oil, and it's, uh, you know, sending some commandos. It's cheaper than a $200 billion war. You know, so, but Chavez, uh, you know, the, it actually wasn't the oil in the end. Of course, he raised the price of uh, the, the royalties paid by the oil companies, doubled them from 16 to 30%. And about the same time that uh, Sarah Palin did that as governor of Alaska, yes, Shumai to your new uh, station in Kodiak, and um, the uh, so you know they didn't have to kill him over the oil. They always worked that, that thing out. Uh, it's true that uh, he did grab the Hines plantation and the giant ketchup plant that was used to supply South America because uh, uh, Mister Hines, otherwise known as Secretary of State John Kerry. Uh, you know, um, refused to raise the minimum wage in, uh, in Venezuela. So they closed the plant. Chavez had it taken over. That's why John Kerry was very upset that uh, he said that uh, George Bush wasn't tough enough on Hugo Chavez. I guess the only thing left was to, you know, finish off the bullet job, right?
1: But Chavez was, I mean, he shared that, that the, 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 those, uh, the, the wealth generated by the oil He slashed poverty by, it was around 50% when he came in, and it went down to something like 29, uh, less than 30% literacy. About
0: 70%. There were about a million people living. In the first oil boom. Venezuela actually made more money in the 70s than it has now on oil. It was pumping more. And uh, in the big rush up, uh, and the big embargo in the 70s, uh, you had a million people living in cardboard shacks around Caracas. All the money went back to New York and Miami and the big banks, which is when... That is why they had to put the bullet in him. Because I was trying to figure it out myself, and I was talking to him, and I was talking to the guys that seized him. By the way, I, I met with Carmona while he was under arrest before he escaped the uh, the coup leader. I met with uh, his uh, his political opponents. The guy ran against him for president. Some of these guys are pretty nice, actually. I don't think they're so evil, but they are. But what desert? What they said all that had it. The reason they had to get rid of Chavez, and you, you said those magic words, IMF. What happened was, is that we send money out into the world for uh, when we, not you and I, but you know the, the, the rulers of our planet, our landlords, um, go get oil. They pay for oil to Venezuela, or Saudi Arabia, but it comes right back. It turns right around. If you remember from the from the film Network, you know the Mr. Beal, the money. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars, and now we must get it back. That's right. Well, Venezuela always gave it back.
1: It never, and then some.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then some, because they'd suck out all the money from the rich plantation owners. So you'd send hundred million billion billion to Venezuela, and $120 billion came back, um, so that Venezuelans, the average Venezuelan, never got anything. So Chavez said, okay, this, this business where all our money for oil... Goes right back to New York or is taken off and stolen to Miami or to, to build mansions for the rich is not going to happen anymore. So he removed $20 billion worth of gold bars held uh, in Venezuela's name in the U.S. Federal Reserve and then used that, uh, uh, got rid of that, and, and used that money for micro loans, a massive micro business loan program in Venezuela. only poverty dropped from 70% to 20% uh... all the rent those cardboard ranchos were removed and, um people were either given bricks to rebuild them, electricity, water, and about a half of the people, instead of rebuilding, care to, uh, high rises. And in the bottom of every high rise is a Cuban doctor. That's why I gave oil to Cuba, because Cuba had, like, this massive excess supply of doctors. It was one thing they could produce. Venezuela had none, so it was an obvious deal. We'll trade the oil for the, uh, for the doctors and engineers and, uh, So what the big deal was that he was stopping that that financial flow. And what really upset the IMF, the IMF was going through uh, on behest of corporate powers. The IMF was imposing upon Latin America this new form of financial colonization so that Argentina was busted. Argentina was told, go free market. They did. They had a couple-year boom, and then pretty soon teachers and doctors are trying to find dinner out of garbage cans, Com- Place is completely busted out. And um,
1: in comes and Nestle's and, 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 and privatizes right. their well, water actually,
0: supply. Yeah, Enron grabbed the water supply of Buenos Aires. Uh, the uh, Spanish Repsol, the oil company, grabbed Argentina's big oil supply. Um, the, uh, the French grabbed the, uh, the electric systems. Same thing happened in Brazil. Same thing happened in Ecuador, where... Mm. Um, uh, the oil company had to be handed over to both Chevron and then to Al Gore's company, um, um, Occidental Petroleum. And then a group of leaders came forward in Ecuador, Argentina, Brazil, Bolivia, who said, um, we're not going to do it. You know, they, and we're going to default. We're not going to pay these, you serious charges. The money was going out and they were, the money of the countries was being put in the U.S. Federal Reserve and at the World Bank at 1% at and 2% interest. They were then required to borrow back the money at 16% to back their banks. Mm. So if you keep lending at 2%, you're a poor nation, and you borrow it back at 16%, you are you are pretty quickly doomed on that gerbil wheel. Right. So, and so then when these guys said, we're not going to do it anymore, we're not going to pay these vultures, um, the IMF said, okay, now we move in and we seize everything. We own your country. You're done. And, uh, unless you can, you know, like they tie them to the railroad tracks, you know, unless you pay the mortgage note, right? And then Uncle Hugo wrote in and said, I'll just underwrite all the bonds. So he, he agreed to write all, underwrite all the bonds of Brazil, all the bonds of, of, uh, Argentina, of Ecuador. And, um, suddenly, uh, these guys didn't know, you know, that was it. They were, they said, we don't need you anymore.
1: Adios so, IMF, yeah.
0: Yeah, so the, adios IMF. And so, even the, the Reagan Street shouldn't actually even freaked out the earlier header of this stuff. And, uh, but then uh, under uh, um, uh, Clinton, he said, okay, alright, what we'll do is we'll cut a deal where uh, basically Argentina defaulted. We'll pay, you know, they'll, they'll pay you off later or some small amount. Because what could they do? Uh, according to Wall Street Journal, Hugo Chavez created the Tropical IMF. Instead of the money going up to New York and Switzerland and London and being borrowed back, at usurious rates, the money just stayed in Latin America.
1: That's dangerous. Hugo, you have meddled with the primal order of nature, and you must atone. Now, the yeah. big question here, Greg, is mm-hmm. was it cancer, or do you believe the Bolivian president who suspects that Hugo Chavez was poisoned?
0: My view, because I knew Chavez pretty well, and I knew, and by the way, I was deep in this stuff because Nicolas Maduro, who's the acting president will probably win next month for president, Actually flew up to New York at Chavez's request to go over his information mine on assassination attempts. This is this is really serious stuff, but I think he beat the bullet on this. Uh, We like to think that great men only die from great causes. That gives us an excuse not to be great men ourselves. You know, not to make the leap to do something important. I think he beat their bullet. I think uh, you know he drank forty cups of coffee a day and he and he hung around a lot of oil, which is toxic, and so I think. He went his own way, and um, I don't think they got him. But they really tried. I got to tell you, I uh, I have some pictures I can finally release of of uh, the the incoming president meeting with me in my little uh, detective office in New York, and you know, and we're comparing uh, the information we've each gotten from the security agencies and. Uh, his information, and we had like things like Wackenhut, uh, now Geo Corporation, which was on some, they were, they had something called the Third Ring, and we were trying to figure out what are they talking about, this Third Ring that, uh, we had some communique intercepts, and, uh, some type of counter, uh, espionage system involving the presidential palace. Was it another coup d'etat? Was assassination? I don't know what they had in mind. I can't really say. I can only know that they were hired by U.S. Homeland Security, and Homeland Security in the U.S. also dis- the same guys, the same company that fixed the election in Florida for George Bush, was hired to fix the election in Venezuela. They stole all the um, the registration lists, voter registration lists, and were I guess planning to monkey with it. And, and then I published a story and busted it because it was the same guys that were that had fixed the race in Florida. So I knew how they were pulling it off. And that was under a U.S. Homeland Security contract um, that was obviously confidential. But you know, I have my ways. That's what I.
1: That's what you do, Greg. We just have a couple of minutes. Let me ask you: You, you met this man face to face on a number of occasions. Yes. Uh, you know, he's, he, we know how he was demonized. What was your sense of the man? I mean, was he was he a, 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 a despot? Was he a kind um, um, uh, populist? What, what was he? Who was he?
0: Okay, he was FDR. I mean, he, and just like FDR, who had who was grandiose and 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 ham handed, uh, but he was he believed ultimately in democracy. He knew that if he didn't get elected, I mean, he he lost one vote by half a percentage point, And dictators don't lose by half a percentage point. We, You know, I disagreed with some of his policies, and I let him know it, too. And I didn't think his opponents were all that, that uh, demonic. But I will say, this guy really cared for the poor. You know, he made a big socialist speech. There was no socialist. He was just a reformist, more like uh, FDR. But he really, truly believed he would put his, he would literally, he was more than ready to put his his body in front of the bullets, if it meant protecting the poor. He just see it started with the IMF riots when he was a in the um, in the nineties. When after the oil boom, the IMF also moved in on Venezuela and demanded that the government raise the price of oil in Venezuela. You can imagine they have they're the swimming in it. They've demanded that that uh, heating fuel prices rise, that the cooking of fuel prices rise, and that the price of food be shot through the ceiling. And uh, there were riots in the street. Three hundred people were gunned down. He was an officer. He said, "I am not going to order my, I'm not going to shoot my own people. I'm not going to shoot Venezuelans in the street. I'm Venezuelan. I'm not going to do it." So he he got some officers together and made a vow that they would never let this happen again.
1: Let's let's hope that when the crap hits the fan uh, south of the border, anywhere around the world, that there are more Hugo Chavez's in in charge of the uh, the people north with the of guns. The exactly. Well, anywhere. Exactly. Now, Greg, uh, secret prisons. Did he have any?
0: No, uh, there's no Guantanamo. There's no, sorry, you know, private Manning for, in prison. According to the opposition, there are 11, he has he was holding he's holding 11 political prisoners. But those include you do have to understand people who killed people during the attempted coup d'état. And and if you shoot someone trying to overthrow the government. I think you can pretty much expect to end up in prison.
1: He could have been he could have um, uh, been a great friend of the Americans. He offered to sell them oil at a very stable price, $50 a barrel.
0: Yeah. He cut a deal with Clinton, and then he tried through me, he, and I said, look, I'm just a journalist. I can, only, I can pass public messages, but I'm not. A... He wanted to cut a deal. He cut a deal with Bill Clinton, and Bush wouldn't accept it. You know why Bush wouldn't accept it? Bush wanted the price of oil to go through the ceiling. You know what? Chavez, Chavez needed a stable price. He didn't care if it was high or late. He just needed a stable price so he could move this heavy oil.
1: Like long-term, because Remember,
0: yeah. he's competing against the Koch brothers. See, the Koch brothers have this huge refinery. They're his number one customer on the uh, Texas uh, Gulf Coast. That's why they're trying to bring in the Canadian XL pipeline from Alberta, because that oil from Alberta, from burning up your tar sands, will go it goes straight down to the Flint Hills refinery on the Gulf Coast to uh, replace uh, the oil for Venezuela because Canadian you guys give it away cheap man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know it's filthy oil but to give it away real 33 dollars a barrel cheaper than Venezuelan oil it will replace now that's worth about two billion a year to the coke brothers that that's what the XL pipeline business is all about it's a, it's it's not like anyone's run out of oil at the Gulf Coast refineries. It's just that they don't want to pay the Venezuelan price because they cannot use American oil. American oil is too light for those refineries. So,
1: you know, uh, for looking forward, uh, Venezuela, you are hopeful that uh, the, the the new guy in charge is going to be is going to be able to continue with Chavez's program and his, and 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 enshrine his legacy.
0: I think even if the opposition wins, which is unlikely, uh, but even if the opposition, it's not going to change people in Latin America have finally figured out that they're quite rich, that they've got a lot of oil and minerals. And, you know, Canadian mining companies have been the big mineral takers, and they finally figured out, hey, well, how come we're, how come this money's just sucking up north? And so Brazil is booming. Argentina, which, you know, is starving, literally starving, is now one of the big booming nations of the planet. Um, Ecuador told the Occidental Petroleum Chevron to stick it. They're booming, the booming economy. Venezuela obviously so it, it's not going to reverse at all that money's staying down there um, the 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 uh, they are no longer privatizing their industries it's all reversing going back to the money back to the people and I don't care who's in you can't run in Venezuela and say we're going to give up the oil for nothing anymore that that, that game's over it, it's a new world Chavez kicked off uh, a new world and you know like I say he was willing to he faced the Death many times he kept telling me i'm ready he said but you know it's a, he told me you know it's a, it's a very complex game of chess and i'm a very good chess player you know so uh-huh. I, I think he you know he got the checkmate he 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 went out his own way and the uh the the continent is uh, different because of it and he really tried to reach out by selling oil by the way to alaska and 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 in the poor in new york texas cleveland boston at a cheap price to community groups so that he could bypass the oil companies hoping to have some type of direct trade with uh, north america on oil instead of going through the oil companies and you know and the state department but you know that that's the an, that's another step for another person
1: well and, you know anyone who can uh, tell the imf to go take a flying leap is uh, uh... is to be enshrined uh... greg where can people watch your documentary the assassination of Chavez?
0: My foundation, I have a not for profit foundation that's agreed to make it the BBC film, The Assassination of Hugo Chavez, available uh, without charge. It's like 24 minutes long. Just go to gregpalast.com, G R E G, P A L A S T.com, gregpalast.com. And really, it's uh, downloaded for the next couple, next week or so. All
1: right. I've linked up to your site on my homepage at The People can just click on your name. Greg, always Perfect. a pleasure. You know you have an open invitation on this show anytime.
0: Well, thank you. You really uh, allow the real stuff to come out, and I really appreciate it.
1: Greg Palace, thank you. Bye. Open lines when we come back. The conspiracy show.
0: I think it's time to open the books uh, on on uh, questions that have remained in the dark on the on the question of of government investigations of of UFOs. It's time to find out what what the truth really is that's out there. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because. The American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth, and we ought to do it because it's the law.
1: When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to
0: Richard live, call 416-360-0740
1: or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back, friends. Now, until the top of the hour, ask Richard anything. That's what I like to call this segment. Open lines, if you will. I have a number of topic uh, suggestions I'd like to throw out there. Um, but, you know, there's so much going on in the world. Let's face it. Right now, the world is on fire. Uh, I have a couple of funerals to go. Uh, to this week, you get to a certain age, and it's it's interesting when you first, uh, you know, you get married in your uh, 20s or 30s. You go to a lot of uh, baby showers. I went to one, a baby shower today, actually, a very rare event these days as I approach the half century mark. Um, but tomorrow and the next day, funeral, 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 they just keep coming, and it rem- it's a constant reminder uh, the uh, how fragile is the human condition. And I always think it's later than we think. Not only because I'm getting older, we're all getting older, but it just, when you, when you go to a funeral and you, you're standing in front of an open casket, you cannot help but think. It's later. Time is marching on. And if you look at the world events, whether we're talking about, uh, what's happening in the United States, and I know the mainstream media is pumping this idea that we are in a recovery and the, and the job, the, the the stock market is, you know, is at an all-time high. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. There are no, I'm not an economist. Don't you don't have to believe me, but scratch beneath the surface, dig a little deeper. Don't just listen to these 30-second business sound bites you're getting on the radio. The jobless numbers, if you look at them in the U.S., are not good. They're not good. All of these job gains are mick jobs. We have uh, uh, teachers uh, and and uh, and highly skilled people being laid off in the United States, and those jobs are being replaced by service industry, restaurants, bartenders. Uh, people's real income is plummeting. And the stock market, why is it at why is it going through the roof? Because there's a lot of a lot of that um you know eighty-five billion dollars a month the Fed is pumping into the U.S. economy. That's going into asset acquisition. So you've got you've got the one big box store chain buying another, all right, their stocks go up but then they lay everybody off and they close stores. So the bottom line looks great. There are no fundamentals behind this surge in the stock market. It's going to crash. And you cannot continue to pump $85 billion of fiat currency month after month after month on or ad infinitum. And there's... I've I've read where where uh, certain forecasters, top trend forecasters and stock analysts are saying, or sorry, financial analysts are saying, we're going to see a point where the United States, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. is going to start dumping ten billion, uh, sorry, a hundred billion dollars a month, and then it's going to be ratcheted up five hundred billion a month. It's just it's the only way they can keep this Ponzi scheme afloat, and when it comes crashing to the ground, and it will, you can imagine the mayhem in the streets. We're starting to see signs of that in Europe. Just recently it was announced, I believe in Cyprus, where the the government there is putting a 10% tax on deposits, all bank deposits. They're confiscating money, directly from bank account holders in Europe and people are rushing to ATMs to get their money out as fast as they can how long is this going to go on before people start saying enough is enough and start maybe i don't know picking up a gun and saying we're revolting we could see revolutions happening again in the, in, in in Europe food riots they're coming folks i hate to be the 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 bearer of bad news but batten down the hatches. If you think we're heading for a recovery, I believe, I believe you're sadly mistaken. I hope I'm wrong. God knows, I hope I'm wrong. A little bit of good news, though, when we come back, an old friend of the program, an old friend of mine going back 20 years, the publisher of and the author of The Seal of the End Times, Nils Hamron, I thought he was swept away by Hurricane Sandy. He is alive, he's well, and he's coming up next here in The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes, corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740. Hey, welcome back. Let me take you back to uh, October 2012. And the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States and here in Canada just got slammed uh, by uh, Hurricane Sandy, the most destructive tropical cyclone of uh, 2012. And uh, it was the second costliest hurricane in the United States. 285 dead, 175 kilometer uh, per hour winds October 22nd to the 29th, and they're still recovering. And I have to be honest, I thought I lost a very dear friend. Nils Hammerin is the author of The Seal of the End Times, publisher of End Times Press, located in Somerville, New Jersey, and his apartment got slammed. And I couldn't reach him for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then I got a letter from him, I read it on the air, I was so pleased, and then again he disappeared, and I called his home number uh, every couple of weeks and nothing. And I feared the worst. This afternoon I got a call, a voicemail from Nils Hammerin, he is alive, he is well, and I'm delighted to have him on the program. Nils Hammerin, how are you, my friend?
2: Richard, I knew if I disappeared you would miss me.
1: Indeed. I tell you, I was worried. And I started to receive emails, Nils. I even received an email from someone who they heard on another radio station somewhere in the United States that you and and your lovely bride had been taken to a FEMA camp. The rumors were flying out there. Nils, take me back to October 2012. You're in your apartment in in Somerville, New Jersey. What happened?
2: It was really a frightening night, uh, Richard. We had been warned Sandy was coming Uh, We were told it was going to take a right-angle turn when it got just to the southern part of New Jersey and would head directly west. And for most hurricanes, this is completely crazy. Here's a storm that's a 1,000 miles across, and it's going to take a right-angle turn and hit New Jersey. Uh, Everybody figured, you know, this is a little bit in error. There's going to be uh, a modification, you know and the weather department is going to turn out to be wrong, but they were bang right on. They were bang on. That storm made a right-angle turn. It head right into the lower part of uh, New Jersey on the shore. Those people got clobbered. Uh, people around Staten Island, which is a little bit higher up, maybe 50 miles from where the uh, center of the storm went ashore, New York Bay, All that was getting a huge rise in the tide, and water actually went into the subway system.
1: Right. What about you in Somerville? What happened at your place?
2: What happened here was that we were getting a normal storm. Winds were very severe. Every once in a while, the winds would build up and would uh, bend the windows, and the glass in the frames was like bending, but nothing happened. Then all of a sudden, we began feeling a, a same... A strange sound that kept coming back. Uh, about every minute it would start making a humming sound in the, the uh, window frames and so forth, the screening. And then it got more loud and more loud, and finally there was a shock, an actual shock that shook this building. And this building is actually made of uh, brick and cement. It's been here a 100 years. This building shook, and the roof lifted off. As the roof lifted off, uh, the TV wire that we have coming from an antenna on the roof began pulling a booster that was sitting on the floor in our apartment. It pulled it up into the wall, and then the wire snapped. And uh, <laughs> we didn't know the roof was coming off the building because it's a secondary roof. There's two roofs. But the primary roof was ripped off, and that landed in the parking lot doing tens of thousands of dollars of damage to the cars in the parking lot. And then uh, we began having water pouring in here. We, we were running looking for barrels, buckets, anything we could to catch the water, because once water gets into an apartment building like this, it does extensive damage. And uh, that went on for all night. Water was pouring in. We couldn't stop it. Uh, finally, the storms uh, let up and the, the rain has slowed down coming in. Although Somerville only got about four inches of rain, it seemed that it was raining all night. Uh, to make a long story short, we eventually were inspected by the state of New Jersey. Our particular apartment was very, very badly hit, and we were ordered out of the apartment. And uh, we had only days to get everything together. We have... The remains of a business here for many years, uh, all kinds of parts for uh, assemblies that we make, uh, that sort of thing. The records from businesses going back, you know, 20 years, addresses of people, letters, all kinds of personal correspondence thrown into boxes. We wound up with 66 boxes of things from the business and from personal uh, living.
1: Let me just remind folks, uh, Nils Hammerin is joining us from End Times Press. This is the first time I've been able to speak to to Nils since last October uh, when his uh, apartment building was devastated by Hurricane Sandy and I, quite frankly, feared for the worst. Now, I got a letter from you. When was that? Around Christmas time. It was around December, I seem to recall. Several months after, I hadn't heard from you. I kept trying to call. And then, I tell you, I was so happy to get this letter, knowing that you were okay. Where were you at that point when you wrote the letter?
2: Well, you believe, uh, I believe, too, that big corporations have no heart. But what happened to us was really uh, something that you should broadcast in a church. We had a company that owned our apartment called Oxford Realty Group in New Jersey. They're huge. They're a nameless group of people you never meet anybody that owns it it's so huge they seem to own whole whole villages they found out that we were in trouble in our apartment and they supplied us with another place to go immediately paid for the moving and covered all kinds of costs they were so friendly and so helpful i could not believe it uh we could do no wrong they got us out of here, and they helped us in every way they could. They supplied us with a beautiful, much larger apartment, uh, which actually was on ground level. And uh, when we looked out the, the window in the morning when we got there, there were deer in the backyard.
1: So now you're back in your new, your your uh, your old place that's been rebuilt. Is that correct?
2: That's all completely rebuilt. Okay. Rent it now. I'm talking to you from a phone that's in my old office. Uh, however, our electric systems are really a mess. Uh, the computer doesn't work. Uh, most phones don't work. Uh, our fax is down. The only line that works is the line we're on right now. And strangely, for a while, we would receive calls on this phone, but we could not call out. We couldn't even get a, uh, a dial tone.
1: Well, Nils, it's great to uh, to be in contact with you again i'm so relieved to know that you and beth are are okay and uh let's uh let's plan on doing another show people have been emailing me uh for months saying where's nils Hammering? is he okay uh and uh so here you are and
2: um richard there's a back. lot to talk about we should get a show together because there are things i want to tell the people they have to know these things and uh it, things are changing. Things are happening.
1: Oh, tell me about it. Let me, very quickly, uh, the investiture of uh, the new pope, uh, Pope Francis, the first Jesuit, uh, yeah. named after, supposedly, uh, Francis of Assisi, who founded the Jesuit order. Now, according to papal prophecy uh, of St. Malachi, the this pope is supposed to be the last pope before we usher in the end times. What, what is your take on that, very quickly?
2: My uh, feeling about it is it's possible... We have uh, something there that we have to think about with Argentina, their association with the SS troops of Germany. That is a long story, and it's very complex. We could get into it, get some of the details. People don't know half of what happened in Argentina at the end of World War II.
1: We'll do that. Nils, it's a date. Say hello to Beth, and I'm so, so pleased to be speaking with you and knowing that you're safe and sound.
2: Yeah, it's a nice uh, pleasure to talk to you and hear your voice there, Richard.
1: All right, Nils, stay well. Bye-bye. Nils Hammerin, End Times Press. Okay, do we have time for, uh, is it Dave and the Beaches? Or Dave, the beach, I should say. They're very particular about how we describe that neighborhood here in Toronto. The beach. Dave, welcome. Hello. Hi how there. are you? I'm well, thank you.
3: Um, first, I just wanted to call in because uh, I listen to your show um, when I can, and um tonight's show about Venezuela um, just to kind of a, a rebuff I've been to Brazil, I've been to Argentina and I've been to Peru and I've also been to Venezuela. Um, Chavez was not a good person for for the country of Venezuela for many reasons. I quite I don't agree with anything that that fellow said. Um, he, he may have done some good for the poor, but he did enormous damage to the country. Um, I've never seen such poverty in my life as in Venezuela. There is no infrastructure. Um, the the money that, that must be Venezuela must be sitting on it, is staggering, and it must be somewhere, but it's not in the infrastructure of Venezuela. Well, what,
1: give me the time frame, Dave. That you were in Venezuela. Are we talking pre nineteen ninety nine or after, or were you there before and after?
3: Oh, no, I was there in 2010.
1: Okay, so in 1999, before Chavez uh, took over, I mean, uh, these are U.N. statistics. I have not been, you have, but uh, this is what what I've read, I've been told, and I've talked to other people who have been and so forth. We're talking about over 50% poverty at that point. We're talking about cardboard shacks, millions of of people living in these cardboard shacks around Caracas. And and after Chavez... uh, They're,
3: They're still there. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, the, I, I'm no I, doubt I, that I he had.
1: What... No, he didn't eradicate it. But if you look at the level of poverty before, we're talking now. Now, uh, uh, Greg Palast says it was somewhere around 60%. I've read about 49%. Now it's about 30%. Still, that's that's a lot. That's crushing. But 30 compared to 50. I mean, that's substantial. And. If you, if you uh, Again, I've, I've seen some documentaries, and, and interv- they've interviewed people, and they talk about now they have access to health care. That didn't exist before. The literacy rate has gone way down. So, it's yeah, it's it's not where it needs to be, but the process has started.
3: Okay, but Richard, here's my point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you go for a walk in any town or city in Caracas. There are no streetlights. They're all burnt out. They don't get replaced. People are stealing the metal sewer grates, uh, so you've got dark streets, you could fall to your death on any main street in, in Venezuela, right. pretty much. Right. Now, I, I when I was there, uh, friends would keep 45-gallon drum uh, in their showers to store water, because they knew that the water was going to be off three times or four times a week, because right. the car right. goes out all the time. It's just regular. I mean, you can't do business. And Chavez was building multi-million dollar power plants for honduras his friends meanwhile his 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 country is going like like i say i i just i i understand what you're saying about maybe it's dropped but i think it's dropped for other reasons i mean saudi arabia doesn't have a fraction of the oil that venezuela has they have air-conditioned uh you know uh, streetcar stops you know, right. Well, here's Venezuela the problem. Venezuela should be a superpower. Well, it be, should be, of, but the problem is, but it's nowhere near that. No. And the crime rate in Venezuela, Richard. I'm sorry, but there are 800 murders a month in the city of Caracas.
1: Right. Uh, I, I I have nothing to compare it to, uh, Dave. I appreciate hearing from someone who's been there, and I, I'd like no. to know more. But here's the thing. Uh, the, the, the situation in, in, in Venezuela is considerably different than Saudi Arabia because we're talking about apples and oranges when you look at their, when their oil. You've got heavy crude in Venezuela. It costs more to extract. So they're not able, they, they're not able at this point uh, to, um, to ensure sort of long-term stability. Uh, they need long-term stability in prices in order to extract that oil because it costs considerably more to extract it and refine it. Uh, and that was one of the reasons that Chavez extended this olive branch to the United States saying, I will give you $50 a, a barrel. I will insure you for 30 years, I will give you $50 a barrel for oil. And if he had that long-term funding, he would have been able to extract it and make use of it. But I, I don't know what's happened since he made oil. that offer. It was declined, obviously, and uh, then the, then came the coup attempt. But uh, it, it's interesting to hear the other side, and, and um, it certainly... Uh, deserves you know further scrutiny, but um, I honestly think
3: that you should have a a, a, com- a show that's completely devoted to the Venezuela. I have friends down there, and okay. I don't want to take up all your time. I, know I got you. Got to run. I just think that there's a lot more to this than that fella
1: knows. There always is, is and saying. we'll do that. Thank you, Dave. The Conspiracy Show. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.